MacCast, Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Hints, Tips, Tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? I am doing really, really good. Actually, I literally just got back from a great time and a great weekend over in uh, Woodstock, Illinois at MacStock. Our friend Mike Potter uh, ranges that conference. Uh, we hadn't gone in many, many years, and I got to get back and see some of you and some great friends. I uh, did a little thing with Mac Geek Gab and Dave Hamilton live. So I think that's going to be coming out in a future episode. So if you're uh, into Mac Geek Gab, you should check that out. And if you're not into Mac Geek Gab, you should go subscribe so you can hear that. Um, but a great Mac community conference. Uh, this was the seventh year. I think I've been a few times. Got to see, um, you know, Barry Falk and do the Midwest Mac barbecue and also. Oh, just a whole host of people. Allison Sheridan, Chuck Joyner, uh, like I said, Dave Hamilton, Dave Ginsburg. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting many, many people. There's many, many other people, but it was just a really good time. And uh, hopefully um, I'll be able to go back next year as well. But back here with you now to uh, go through the latest in Mac and Apple stuff and also try to answer some of your tech questions. Looking over the show notes, uh, we have a few things to talk about. We're going to talk about the next generation of Apple processors. We're going to talk about when we might see some iPhones. Uh, a little uh, information about Apple Maps. We've got some Vision Pro updates, some interesting work going on at Apple surrounding AI technologies, although we may or may not benefit from that. We'll talk about that for a little bit. Got some new Apple Pay and uh, some regulations for those of you over in the UK that may have some ramifications uh, for some of the Apple stuff that you use. And that will round out the news. And then we're going to get into uh, making Apple Maps a little bit better. And then a question about uh, Time Machine and Time Machine backups that we'll try to help a listener out with. And that will uh, round out the show. So I say we just dive right in. Let's talk a little bit about Apple's next generation, Apple Silicon for um, Macs. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman says that he thinks that Apple will do an October Mac event and likely there will be some new M3 Macs announced there. That's using that new three nanometer process. DigiTimes also says that Apple has a three nanometer chip that will arrive in the third quarter. It gets a little bit weird. We've talked about quarters. We have Apple's financial quarters, which are really, um, basically a quarter of head of the calendar quarters. So Apple is actually rounding out their third financial quarter already. So we're not expecting those chips to come soon. Uh, it's going to be in the third calendar quarter, I think, according to DigiTimes, which lines up with the German rumors. As to which Macs we might see, it's possible uh, we could get an update to the 24-inch iMac. I think we've been talking about that. That one is due for an update 
Apple has historically launched that new processor in the 13-inch MacBook Air, so we could have an update there. What'll be interesting on that one is because they just came out with the 15-inch MacBook Air, are they going to do both in October, or are they going to stick with 13-inch and then bring the 15-inch later? Uh, really unclear. And same thing on the 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro. So that's where we could see those arrive first. We would expect updates in other models like the Mac Studio and Mac Mini and the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros, but those are likely going to uh, arrive sometime in 2024, especially because the uh, pros in the studio are going to use the higher end chips uh, like the um, M1 or M3, I guess at this point, not M1, M3 Pro and M3 Max chips. So we are expecting those a little bit later. And then I guess there's a possibility too, if Apple's going to do a new M3, that we could see some updates to the iPads, the M series iPad Pros possibly. We'll have to wait to find out, but uh, we are expecting an M3 chip, it looks like, before the end of the year, at least in one Mac. Any guesses from you on uh, which model that might be. Uh, do you agree with German and the rumor mill, or do you think uh, something else is going to happen? Shoot me some feedback, maccast at gmail.com. If you're waiting on the new iPhone 15 models, we are expecting Apple to announce those in the fall, but when you'll be able to buy them is in a little bit of limbo, or Probably not when you can buy them, when you'll actually get them delivered. A B of A analyst said in a research note this past week that his checks of the supply chain are indicating that Apple might have to slip the actual launch date of the iPhone 15s back a couple weeks. So not the announcement date, but the actual delivery date. So while we are likely to get an announcement of new iPhones probably on time sometime in September, uh, at least some, if not all the devices, might not ship until sometime in October. I would presume early October. Apple's kind of done this before, depending upon what's going on in the supply chain. We also had a separate piece from the information indicating that uh, part of the issue could be the new displays, especially in the Pro models. I think we're expecting much thinner bezels, uh, maybe across the whole entire line. It's not really clear at this point. I think we did get some uh, display leaks this past week that showed it on all the models. I think we've had that rumor in a little bit in limbo. But uh, LG is supposedly making some of those displays and they're failing reliability tests, which could lead to lower yield. Uh, the issue seems to be the process where the display is fused to the metal shell. So the whole display assembly and those lower yields could mean either shortages at launch if Apple is launching on time or maybe that Apple might delay the release of those devices. And apparently the iPhone 15 Pro Max is uh, the one experiencing the most issues, which is unfortunate because, as you might imagine, early adopters, early buyers are going to be clamoring for that model, especially considering the fact that we're expecting that to have big camera updates in the form of that telescoping uh, telescoping camera or the periscope camera, which will allow for a larger telephoto optical zoom. So, you know, many people looking forward to that. That might be 
a little bit delayed. There's also reports in the Wall Street Journal of a different type of delay, this time around semiconductors. Uh, TSMC is has been building this new factory in Arizona. We've talked about that a little bit on the show in the past. And according to this new report, uh, TSMC is having trouble finding people in the U.S. with expertise to build semiconductors. And so it may need to... Um, bring in experienced engineers from Taiwan, and that could take a little bit of time. And this is something we also talked about early on when all this news and and all this stuff about moving or trying to get more manufacturing back in the U.S., um, that this could and potentially is a problem to companies trying to build U.S. factories. It's just that we have not spent the time and effort to train and bring up the kinds of skilled laborers to support these kinds of factories. So that could slow the opening of the facility into 2025. Originally, the plant was hoped to be up and running, uh, supplying four nanometer chips for Apple by 2024. Uh, So we might see some delays uh, with that factory opening. And then looking a little bit to the future, getting back to our conversation about that periscoping lens, uh, we got some news this week from a Weibo, that Chinese website leaker, that uh, the 16 Pro Max next year could feature an even better periscope ultra-long telephoto combination lens. It's not exactly clear how extra long would differ from the rumored periscope lens that we've been talking about in the iPhone 15 Pro Max, but my assumption and very likely is that it would just have more zoom or a larger optical zoom. This year's model is expected to come with at least a 3x optical zoom, maybe even up to 6x. There are some models uh, from Apple's competitors out on the market that already have a 10x zoom, so assumption would be the iPhone 16 Pro Max could have a 6 times to 10 times optical zoom, depending using this uh, this ultra-long telephoto periscoping technology. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but, you know, this year expect 3, maybe 6x. I would hope Apple goes 6x because they seem to be falling a, falling a little bit behind in uh, the telescoping or telephoto <laughs> keep wanting to say telescoping because of that periscope word in the telephoto lens department. Looks like Apple Maps has taken a turn for the better, at least according to both 9to5Mac and Mac Rumors. They were citing a recent New York Times report about Apple Maps where the New York Times hit the streets, went out and talked to random people with about their thoughts on Apple Maps and how it compares to their competitors, specifically Google Maps. And it turns out the results were generally positive, specifically around transit directions. And, you know, they're doing the survey in New York City, so that makes a lot of sense. Transit's a big deal there. Although one person did reference um, experiencing better transit maps, I think when they were visiting another city. I'm trying to remember if it was Australia or if it was another city here in the U.S. But uh, regardless, people are enjoying and saying that uh, the transit directions on Apple Maps are generally, they're finding generally to be better than that 
than those on Google Maps. Another woman in the piece said that Apple had just better data specifically when it came down to drilling into specific street listings. She had mentioned on Google Maps, it was sometimes hard to zoom in and get street names, but she hasn't experienced that same issue on Apple Maps. Now, this was hardly an exhaustive or uh, statistically accurate research study. It was just anecdotal uh, observations from random people that they talked to on the streets. But I think for me personally, I'm kind of in agreement with this. I think generally Apple Maps is very much improved and Apple has continued to expand over the years. I know that I use it as my main map source. I don't really use Google Maps too much and uh, I found it to be pretty good. I think the biggest place for me where I find deficiencies is with look around. Um, Google Street View has way more coverage. I think they've covered most of the United States. I, I very rarely find a situation where I want to do a Street View and Google doesn't support it. And that's the one place where I typically switch over to, to Google Maps. And I've found that look around is really, really helpful, especially if you're in a city or street view, if you're in a city that you're unfamiliar with, right? And you just want to double check, you want to visually see, I'm a very visual person. So I want to visually see sometimes the place that I'm going to. So when I get there, I can recognize it, right? And I wish Apple Maps um, had more support with that for that. I know it takes time, but they've been running for a while. And while they've hit a lot of major cities, they're really not doing so great in other areas. So I'd really like them to see to see them expand that coverage. I'm trying to think of any other areas where I feel like Apple Maps still hasn't matched the quality of Google Maps, but I'm sure you have some of those. So if you do, shoot me an email, send me some feedback, maccast.gmail.com. But how are you feeling about Apple Maps these days? We can do our own MacCast version of this New York Times article and have a little discussion about, you know, what's good, what's maybe not so good. And we'll talk a little bit later on how you can maybe get involved and actually help improve Apple Maps. So stay tuned for that. Some good news for developers who are looking to develop for the Apple Vision Pro. Unity has launched the beta version of their development tools that will support Vision OS. This is something that they showed off and discussed their partnership with Apple uh, during worldwide developer conference during those announcements so if you watch that keynote you probably saw this um the unity editor and specifically unis unity's polyspatial technology is now available to developers to start creating apps and games for apple's upcoming vision pro headset um this is in beta they released it this past week polyspatial is really the biggest piece of that that's the one that they worked with apple on designed in cl collaboration for apple and it's there to make it easier for developers who are already familiar with and developing in Unity to develop their games and also, more importantly, port their existing titles over to the Apple Vision Pro. Um, as an example of this, the Apple Arcade game What the Golf is currently being ported to run natively on the Vision Pro using these new, new tools in Unity and other developers will be able to do this. So this is going to help uh, ensure that uh, there's probably a healthy set of games, hopefully, uh, on the Apple Vision Pro when it launches sometime next year. Something else that happened around Vision Pro this week is Apple rolled out the update or updates to their system update system that will include the ability to push out firmware updates 
for the Apple Vision Pro. And keen-eyed observers, specifically a Twitter leaker, Aaron P613, uh, looked into these updates and found references to three different battery model numbers on the Vision Pro. Now, the quote-unquote current one, it's not out yet, right? But Apple showed off a, a battery pack that you'd use for your Vision Pro. That battery model number is A2781. Apparently, in this um, update to the thing that will push out firmware updates, there were other references to Apple Vision Pro battery model numbers, model a 2988 and A2697. Now, Apple didn't talk about having multiple batteries. It's unclear exactly what this means. It could just be a red herring. We never really know till there's actually a product release, but it is likely that Apple plans to offer different battery packs, I would assume, in different sizes. So the one that they already announced is a two-hour battery pack. They could have maybe a lighter one that offers shorter time or maybe just two larger ones for uh, for longer Vision Pro usage. We'll have to wait and see sometime next year when Apple actually officially releases the product, but it uh, looks like there could be a few battery options with the Vision Pro. I think a lot of us, if you've been paying attention, AI and generative AI chatbots are a big thing. Chat GPT and Google Bard getting a lot of news, a lot of buzz. A lot of companies are starting to integrate and use these technologies, although there's a lot of concern about security and privacy and specifically employees potentially leaking data. Well, according to a new report from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman this week, he says that Apple has actually been working on uh, a generative AI chatbot internally. Uh, he says they're calling it Apple GPT, kind of a nod to GPT, but it's not using the open AI GPT technology. It's basically a large language model framework, uh, supposedly called Ajax, and it's running on top of the Google Cloud and using Google's Jax machine learning framework. Um, they did. He did say that Apple at one point contemplated using the OpenAI technology, doing a deal with OpenAI, but that didn't work out. So they're kind of developing their own thing in-house. And there's actually a big reason for that, because to be clear, at least for now, this is simply an internal tool for Apple employees. It's not a publicly released product. It's something for them to use inside Apple. Uh, currently, even inside Apple, it sounds like you need special access to be able to even use it and any output any output from the AI chatbot cannot be used to develop features bound for customers. So it seems that um, Apple was concerned about Apple employees using third-party external tools like ChatGPT that were controlled by other companies because they could potentially release release or even probably unintentionally release data or information that was proprietary. So they're building this thing in-house. Who knows if it'll ever actually expand into kind of a public product. We would hope that that is going on. It sounds like there are some conversations happening between teams and the software engineering teams around that. We know that Apple has for a very long time been working on AI and machine learning technologies. They've already incorporated a lot of that into their existing products. If you, if you look at the photo recognition stuff in the Photos app, 
that's a great example of this and that's been available for a while but the key to that stuff is that it all works on device and everything is secure so it does appear that Apple is driving harder internally now because of these AI chatbots to kind of work on generative AI technologies, but they obviously face a lot of challenges that their competitors don't. They have to figure out how to incorporate the technology, but still maintain their commitment to security and privacy to their users. So I would imagine piloting and kind of developing the stuff in-house and testing it is a great way to figure out some of these things without, you know causing issues. So we'll have to see if Apple, you know, eventually does have generative AI available in the operating system to end users. But for now, it sounds like something they're working on, at least internally. Quick little, uh, quick little update for international users. Apple Pay, it looks like, launched in Morocco. Not a lot of stuff to say about here. Apple's been slowly rolling out Apple Pay uh, in various countries. Morocco just happens this week to be the latest. They launched it with two banks, CIH Bank and CAM. Um, I couldn't find any information on which cards were available for CAM, but CIH Bank customers will be able to add their MasterCard credit cards and bank cards to the wallet app to be able to use for Apple Pay. And then finally, a bit of news that's a little bit concerning for those of you over in the UK. Uh, that could There's a new proposed bill that if it moves forward, it could cause you to lose access to some of Apple's technology. You probably know a lot more about this than I do, but from what I understand, over in the UK in 2016, they passed the investigation the Investigatory Powers Act, the IPA, that is an act that currently allows the British Home Office to force technology companies to disable security features like end-to-end encryption without telling the public. I didn't even know this actually existed, but um, it's been out there. Now, it's unknown, I guess, currently if any companies have been asked to do that to date, but at the moment, the good news is, is that the current process involves an independent oversight via a review process, and tech companies can actually appeal before having to comply. So they don't just have to like say, oh, yep, we're going to turn off our end-to-end encryption for you. They can actually make an appeal, and there's a whole process for that. Apparently, what's happening now is there's some pr- proposed changes to the law that could require companies to get to one get approval from the home office before making security changes to their products so they have to kind of get pre-approved and blessing which as you might imagine apple doesn't like and they also have to allow the home office to demand security features to be immediately disabled without notifying end users and without any appeal or other process they basically have to do it immediately if this change goes into effect now, what's happening right now is anytime they propose these kind of changes, I guess there's a review process. So there's an eight-week consultation process happening right now. It gives a chance for professional bodies, interest groups, uh, academia, and the public to be able to review the changes and also weigh in and give opinions and sort of uh, have a discourse on these proposed changes. As you might imagine, Apple is very much in opposition to these proposed changes. They actually submitted a nine-page document detailing their concerns. And in it, Apple states that they would, quote, not make 
changes to security features specifically for one country that would weaken the product for all users. And because of that, that would suggest that should the UK government move forward with this uh, proposed bill, these proposed changes, that Apple would likely be forced to remove access in the UK to apps that use end-to-end encryption. That means you could lose FaceTime, you could lose messages, potentially a bunch of other stuff. So this is really, really not good news for UK customers. Good news is, like I said, it's early days. It's just a proposal. A lot of companies are opposing this. So we'll have to watch this, wait and see what happens. But I'd be curious to know from our UK listeners, again, I didn't even know the 2016 uh, one existed. And even that some of the language is a little bit scary to me. So what do you think about the current Investigor- Investigatory Powers Act in your country and how do people feel about it? And also, how do you feel about these proposed changes? Shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Notion. So if you haven't heard of Notion yet, I think it's definitely something you need to check out. And if you're already a Notion user, um, you probably love it like I do. And uh, there's some new technology that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Notion is a connected workspace that lets you do all sorts of things like take notes, you can aggregate documents, you can set up to-dos, you can manage projects, you can make wikis, uh, you can do it collaboratively. It's basically a whole bunch of stuff all in a single app, and it is super convenient. I've been using it to organize and collect notes and do research for the show. I also, as a developer, use it as a place to collect and aggregate code snippets because it has this great built-in code block that supports dozens of coding languages including doing code highlighting, which I absolutely love. Plus, they have an app that I can have on my iOS devices and a web interface. They also have a Mac app, and I can sync and access everything from anywhere. And as great as that is, they've made it better because now they've added Notion AI. We were just talking about AI and chatbots. And it's an add-on that brings integrated AI right inside Notion. So right now, I can use it to do to get inline help with my code or my snippets and also my notes. So if I need clarification on something, I can ask the AI about it. I'm finding it really to be a great way to help me improve my writing and also get help for my coding. For example, as I'm working on code or doing coding things, I can just ask it right there for a coding example and then boom, it delivers it. And sometimes it's good, it's not always perfect, but then What's really cool is I can interact with it contextually and either get better examples or get better understanding to help improve the code. And then I can save those code snippets right in there, bring them back, reference them. I can organize everything. It is awesome. Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger doing tasks that normally take you hours in just seconds. And another great feature I love about Notion is it has this great Kanban board where I can manage and track my product, my projects as well. So I can break everything down. I can follow my progress and it just has a ton of great um, tools and widgets and 
Uh, it's really, really cool. And here's the best thing. You can try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com slash MacCast. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash MacCast to try out the incredible power of Notion AI today. And when you use our link, hey, you're supporting the show. Try Notion AI for free right now at notion.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to Notion for their support of the show. Earlier, we discussed Apple Maps and how it is getting better and better and it is improving. But did you know that you can actually personally do something to help make it better? If you've ever been frustrated, and I know you have because I get your, <laughs> I get your emails and your comments, that something is wrong in Apple Maps, you can actually do something about it and Apple does listen. And I know because I have been doing this for a while now. So if you find Apple Maps has some kind of error, like say it has a wrong street name or the wrong location of something or just even the wrong information about a business, maybe the wrong website or the wrong hours for that business, you can actually tell Apple that they've made a mistake and get them to fix it. Uh, they have this whole, and I think we've talked about this in the past, they have this whole ground truth team. And for those of you who aren't familiar with mapping and, and creating maps and cartography and all that stuff, the idea of ground truth is that, you know, you can get data from satellites and cars driving around, taking pictures and all that sort of stuff. And you can have, you know, businesses that submit information. But as you imagine, this data and information is changing all the time, right? Cities remap roads, they put in new roads, things change, businesses go in and out of business, they change their hours, all kinds of things can happen. And so staying on top of that can be really, really hard. And also, if you're getting data from outside sources that aren't human beings, you want to be able to validate that data, especially when it comes to maps, so you can do accuracy. So the Ground Truth team is designed to do exactly that. These are real human people that double check and make sure that the data is accurate. And right built into Apple Maps, they have the ability to submit information from the public to the Ground Truth team. They will receive that information, check and verify it, and if it's inaccurate, they will make those corrections. And as I mentioned, I've done this several times in my own town. And you can imagine, like in San Diego, when I was there, it was less of an issue, but now I've moved to a much smaller town in South Dakota, and sometimes things are just off a little bit. For example, we have a bank of Tesla superchargers here in our town, and they it's next to a Goodwill and uh, next to a Goodwill and a Dairy Queen. And basically they had it on the wrong side of the building. So it wasn't that far off. You probably could have found it if you went there. But if you looked at Apple Maps, it was literally on the wrong side of the building. So I was able to submit that correction, show the Apple Maps team exactly where that supercharger was. And within a couple days, uh, they had corrected the problem. And now that's good and accurate for anybody who might be coming through town, uh, you know, across the 
across the 90, uh, which is a long freeway in the middle of nowhere. And I'm sure there's many Tesla owners that need to charge their Teslas along the way. So was able to actually fix that and get it fixed. And I've done that with several other locations throughout my town. So if you ever encounter that kind of issue, um, most of the time, if you're looking in Apple Maps at the information card or just scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see there's a report an issue link or button. And you can press that and you could submit a report to Apple. It will prompt you. It'll ask you a few questions. Um, it will ask you what kind of issue you want to you want to send in. So you can send in issues related to streets and, you know, addresses. You can do place issues. That's where, you know, might have a business that has the wrong hours or is the wrong place. You can do routing issues. So if it's giving incorrect directions and you maybe know better directions for your local area, you can submit those. And then you can also, of course, submit those things like crash reports, hazard reports, or speed checks. So those kind of, you know, one-time limited things where, hey, there was there's a crash up ahead. I want to report that sort of thing. And like I said, in my experience, they are fairly quick at making corrections. And not only that, once you submit that, you will actually get a notification if they do end up fixing the issue. So you'll know when it's been fixed and when Apple Maps has been updated. And it is really, really cool. So, you know, don't just get frustrated and then, you know, switch over to Google Maps. Uh, you can be part of sort of the crowdsourcing of making Apple Maps better by submitting these reports. And don't be afraid to submit them because, again, like even if you get something wrong or incorrect, they're going to actually verify and validate and check your information. They're not just going to take your word for it, which is a good thing. It's exactly what you want. Um, but if you are correct, they will uh, they will fix Apple Maps and it will get better for all of us. Kevin wrote in this week because he is having a time machine dilemma. Well, not really a dilemma, but he used to have, like a lot of us, a time capsule, a Apple time capsule that allowed him to back up over his network. And as you likely know, Apple years ago discontinued the uh, airport in time capsule and so we have to rely on other technologies and when the time capsule died or was discontinued or his his time capsule died i guess i should say kevin's uh he moved over to a linksys velop mx5300 router i think that's a mesh router if i'm not mistaken and uh he's looking to get back so he 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 switched routers and then also went to direct connected time machine which works great and that's actually what i use uh, my family does use network connected time machine and i'll talk about how they do that here in a second but um he had moved to a direct attached drive and now says hey i'd really really like to get back for the convenience reasons to a network time capsule just so i don't have to plug in and if you have a notebook i i totally get this right if you're not using a desktop machine that's always plugged into an external hard drive it can be kind of a pain in the butt to say oh yeah i got to remember to plug in my mac so that it will back up to time machine so the network thing is really really convenient and kevin says his velop actually has a an ability to create a network drive. You can plug in an external drive to a USB port on that device. And um, he can even see it in the finder. He's able to interact with it as a network volume. It does shares over SMB, which is awesome. But he's saying that he's unable to interact with it. So it's not working to show up as a time machine volume. Um, 
And Kevin, I'm not really sure how exactly, because it wasn't clear in your email, you were trying to set that up, but uh, I'm assuming you're saying that even though you go into the settings, general time machine, and you click on the little plus button to add a new time machine volume, that it's not showing up in the network list, because it actually really should. You should be able to just select it there and add it. Um, the only thing I could think of, and I think you alluded to this in your email is maybe the drive format could make a difference. Um, and you mentioned going into disk utility that you had done some research and some folks were saying if you formatted it in fat 32, it would work. I wouldn't think you'd need to format it in fat 32. And I really think you wouldn't want to considering you're going to be backing up Apple file system stuff. The only thing I can think of is maybe with the network attached specifically to a Linksys, depending upon what they're doing with their operating system, it might not be able to handle APFS, Apple's file system. So if you formatted that external drive as APFS, you might want to try formatting it as HFS plus, and maybe that would work. You could try formatting it as uh, FAT32, you mentioned in your email that you didn't see options for that in Disk Utility. It's actually, I think, called MS-DOS or something like that in Disk Utility. So it just may be a naming convention thing. So you could try reformatting it in a different format. That might work. But even better, what I would really recommend is not using your network router, but actually investing in some sort of NAS drive that supports time machine backups. You know, my top recommendation would be a system like a Synology NAS. Um, they can get expensive. I understand that. So if you're looking for a cheaper solution, I'll give you some options here in a second. Uh, but for network time machine, they, you know, if you need a lower cost NAS, you could go with a one bay or two bay drive. I really suggest uh, the two bay because you're going to have the redundancy in the drive itself as well. So they have models like the DS233J or the DS233 model. They run about $200, somewhere around $200 without drives. So then you'll need to add drives. But you can get four terabyte NAS drives for around under $100 these days. I did a little bit of research. Um, as far as brand, a lot of times when you start talking NAS drives and, and backups, people ask, what, what kind of brand or what drives do you recommend? Um, I would recommend the Seagate Exos or Western Digital Red drives. Basically, you don't want to just go with a desktop, a desktop internal drive. You want to go with something that's specifically built for a NAS. And the reason for that is desktop drives are kind of rated and tested for the idea that they're not running all the time, right? You, when your Mac is asleep, it parks the drive, it shuts things down. With a NAS, those drives are running constantly all the time. So you need something a little bit more robust. And um, those specific NAS drives are built for that. So that's the route I would recommend that you go. I use a Synology for my family's network backup, time machine backup, and it works great. You could use it for multiple Macs. It's really, really awesome. It's fairly easy to set up. Synology has a nice web interface for it, so you can get that set up and running pretty quickly without too much technical knowledge. It's definitely more technical knowledge than you need for, say, setting up your uh, time capsule back in the day, but it's it's not too bad, and you most people, I think, are able to figure it out. If you want something a little bit more plug-and-play, um, it's not as good, in my opinion, but you could go with something like a Western Digital MyCloud Home or, better yet, their MyCloud Expert Series EX2 products. Those also support 
uh, Time Machine backup and their, you know, two drive NAS systems. Um, pretty easy to set up. The MyCloud software makes it pretty easy to kind of configure and manage and, and, and deal with that stuff. So if you're looking for something a little bit simpler, that's another great option. A third option, if you really, really want to save money and you have an older Mac lying around that you want to repurpose, and this is a great thing to do, you could take that external drive that you were trying to plug into the Linksys Felop, attach that to your older Mac, and then enable a Time Machine shared folder from that. Apple has a full support article on how to do this. I'll link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But basically, you set up your Mac, you put it on your home network, you attach the external drive, and then on that Mac that you want to use as your time machine backup destination, you go into system settings general and you click on the sharing settings and turn on file sharing. Then in the information button, click on options and make sure that the share files and folders using SMB option, SM as in Mary, B as in beta, is checked on and then click done. And then in that same interface at the bottom, um, click the add button of the shared folders list. And then you can navigate and select a folder on that volume that you want to use for time machine sharing. And then you can hit add. And then you'll want to control click the name of that folder, choose the advanced options, and then make sure you select share as a time machine backup destination. And then as an option, what's cool about this is you can also limit the backup size in that folder. So, you know, if you, if you have say a four terabyte drive and you want to allocate, um, you know, four folders for four Macs on your network and you want each one of them to have one terabyte of storage, you could do that by limiting the size here and then click okay. And then you can just go to the Mac that you want to back up you can verify that you can see that shared Mac in the finder under the network location. And then in uh, settings, general time machine, again, click on the plus button at the bottom to add a new time machine volume. And then just select that network shared folder that you set up to use as a time machine backup. So I would use any one of those methods. Um, Some in our audience may have more experience with the Linksys Velop and setting up um, it as a time machine backup. So it may be possible. Uh, I'm hoping maybe it's just the drive formatting issue that we talked about earlier. But give those things a try and I hope that helps you out. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Uh, Before I leave you, I want to thank a couple show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281 281- 622-4269-281-MAC-I-AM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And then finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, or is it 
X now. <laughs> I don't know. But twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. And I guess also now technically on threads, although I don't know how much I'm going to be using that. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.